We are starting a new series today, one that I'm super, super excited about. It is on the Ten Commandments. Now, don't go away. Don't turn this podcast off because I, I want to tell you about something. Hopefully, you will see the Ten Commandments in a way that you've never seen them before. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. But before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you that Pastor Jeremy Maddock is also covering the Ten Commandments in his podcast, Bible Breath. If you haven't heard Pastor Jeremy teach, you're missing out because he has a wonderful gift to take really hard concepts and break them down into easily understood bite-sized pieces. So just follow the link in today's episode notes so you can check his teaching out too. Let me tell you how this came about. So over a year ago, already, um, I was interviewing Pastor Mike and I'm not sure what the discussion was. But somehow we came um, to be talking about the catechism. And most of us have studied, if you grew up in the Lutheran church anyway, um, most of us in the Lutheran church have studied the small catechism, which is a book that Martin Luther put together to explain the Ten Commandments and baptism and Holy Communion and the Lord's Prayer in a very easy to understand way. So he would you know, put a commandment down and then he would say, what does this mean? He would ask, what does this mean? And then he would explain it with other Bible passages and um, examples and that type of thing. So I am very familiar with the small catechism. I've used it most of my growing up days. And then I've been teaching uh, just subbing once in a while for um, teachers at my church. And so I would, you know, go back to it then. Well, I asked Pastor Mike, I said, you know, have you read the large catechism? And he said, yeah, the large catechism is like the same thing, only essay form. So instead of it being, you know, the commandment and then what does this mean? And then some Bible passages and just quick, simple answers, Martin Luther wrote out an essay kind of explaining in detail what this means. Well, I went to my church library and I couldn't find the large catechism. So I asked my pastor and he pulled out this huge book, which was called the Book of Concord. And it has like all kinds of things in it, including the large catechism. So I took it home and I started reading it and I didn't get that far. And I was like, wait a second, I need a copy of this myself. So I ordered Luther's large catechism just off of, I don't know, some website. It wasn't Amazon, but it was something. And it came and I went through and I was underlining things. And then I I don't know, I got distracted, I guess. So I think I finished the seventh commandment, maybe the eighth. Um, And I came across this again a couple of weeks ago and I picked it up and I finished reading through the commandments and I was like, this is so phenomenal. And I wish I would have known about this earlier. And um, so now I'm going to share it with you. And I cannot say enough. If you are looking for extra studying this year, grab Luther's large 
Catechism. Take the time to read through these essays and let it really work in your heart. They are phenomenal. And, you know, I I think too often we comfort ourselves with TV at the end of the day or on our phones. And if you even just give, you know, it 15 minutes, you'd be amazed at what you're able to learn if you just put a little bit of time into God's word. So go buy Luther's Large Catechism, and hopefully this series is going to get you excited to do just that. I'm just going to give you the tip of an iceberg with each of these commandments, the things that I've learned from Luther's Large Catechism. So that is the commentary that I'm using for all of these. So I'm I'm going to be quoting him. I'm going to be reading from this. It, it's Luther. Luther and his large catechism. Go buy it. Okay, so today we're going to start with the first commandment. And I should mention that different um, denominations have different numbering for the commandments. So I grew up Lutheran, so I'm going to use the Lutheran commandments. Um, Listen, for the most part, we're going to learn the same things. So the difference would be that uh, in the Lutheran um, version, commandments 9 and 10 are on um, coveting. And in the other um, denominations, I think they they have more up front. So it's not just the um, you shall have no other gods, but then I think there's maybe the second commandment is do not make a graven Im- image or an idol or something like that. So um, I'm not entirely sure, like I said, I grew up Lutheran. So um, I'm going to use the Lutheran numbers and we're going to go with that. And hopefully, even if you're from a different denomination, you can learn something. So The first commandment is you shall have no other gods. And Luther asks, what is a God? And this is what he said. It's what you turn to for a refuge in distress. It's whatever you love most. That is your God. Whatever you cling to. Okay. And then he went on to say the most common idols. Now, remember, he was writing 500 years ago. But I felt as I was reading this, like he was speaking about our society today. He said the most common idols are money and possessions, because in them we feel secure. And the people who do not have them tend to despair and always work to get more. We cannot find security in money and possessions, and this is why. Because they can be here today and gone tomorrow. We watched Hurricane, um, whatever it was, that just went through Florida not long ago and decimated Fort Myers. It happens. Tornadoes come. Fires happen. Um floods, mold, all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, all those things that we work for and all those things that we thought were important can be just gone. Not only that, but I was thinking about it today. You know, it's not just the floods, the fires, all that stuff. But how often don't you get something like a new shirt or a sweater or earrings or whatever? And they're so awesome for what, a season, two seasons? 
maybe a year. And then typically you're like, "Mm, I mean, maybe it's just me. I went through a long period of not buying anything. And then now I'm kind of sick of all my old clothes that I haven't. And I buy all my stuff, the the vast majority of my stuff at thrift stores. So I um, wear them for a season or two and then turn them back in and then go to the thrift store and get somebody else's hand-me-down. So um, I, I love change. And, but it's funny how, why would we find security in this when it's easy come, easy go? And look at the stock market. Maybe you don't want to look at the stock market, but my daughter was talking to me about it today because she's 22 and she has a full-time job as a nurse. And so, you know, as she was directed, she put money in, in the stock market right away. She started investing and she mentioned, she's like, mom, I just feel like I'm throwing money away because every time I look, it's not gaining. I'm losing the money that I put in there. And I was telling her, I said, well, the key is to not look. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. You're supposed to be in it for the long haul. And it, it's depressing to look at that because it is. It's like you worked hard for this money and you put it somewhere hoping that it will grow, but there is no guarantee that that money will grow. Once you put it in that fund, it's out of your hands and you don't know what's going to happen. It may grow, may become much bigger, but it may lose a lot of money. So it's silly to put our security in our money and in our possessions when they are so frivolous. They come and they go. He also said that we put a lot of um, weight or we easily make idols of our skill, our power, and our position. So we feel really good about ourselves if we become, you know, the lead, whatever. You know, if we're the big man or if our employer gives us a promotion or we get a raise or what have you. We feel really good about it. Whereas if we lose our job, if we um, don't have the skills that it takes to do something, then we don't feel as good about ourselves. But that is totally, totally contrary to the word of God. Because the Bible tells us who we are in Christ. So regardless of what skill we have, regardless of what our position is, regardless of if we have a job, if we're retired, if we've never worked outside of the home a day in our life, regardless, our identity in Christ is exactly the same. So if we are finding our identity in anything other than the fact that we are beloved children of God, totally forgiven by God's grace, then we have made an idol of our position, our skill, our power, whatever we have that um, we look to and we find pride in. And again, so silly. Why? Because we're told we're all like grass. We are here today. We're gone tomorrow. I have worked in a nursing home for a year. And let me tell you, those people never thought they'd be there. And there they are, weak, fragile, unable to do things by themselves, for themselves. And so many of them have said things like, you know, I used to. I used to be this. I used to do this. I had a lot of. 
Here today, gone tomorrow. Don't find your identity in anything that is fleeting. Find your identity completely and totally in Christ. You never have to worry about that changing. Then your hope is in Christ and not in an idol, which can come and go. Um, Luther said to keep God in his proper place is to know no other comfort or confidence. Just think about that for a minute. I really had to think about that because he said comfort or confidence, except in God. And I started thinking, wait, wait a second, How? what do we find comfort in? You have a bad day? You ever gone to the freezer and gotten a bowl of ice cream? You ever go to the cabinet and get a drink? You ever go get a pack of cigarettes, blow off some steam? Have you ever gone shopping? after a particularly hard day for a little retail therapy. To keep God in his proper place is to know no other comfort or confidence except in God. That convicted me. No other. No other. My comfort is God, plain and simple. My confidence, God, plain and simple. I just got home from church and today the pastor was talking about Abraham and he mentioned Genesis chapter 15, verse one, which was where God came to Abraham and said, I am your shield, your very great reward. And the pastor pointed out what had happened just before this. Abraham had gone to rescue his nephew Lot who had been carried away by these kings who came through Sodom and took Lot and all that he had, carried him away. So Abraham grabbed an army, went and rescued Lot and the people of Sodom. When he came back, the king of Sodom said, hey, we'll just take the people, but you take the plunder as payment for coming and rescuing us. And Abraham said, I'm not going to take anything from you because I never want it said that the king of Sodom made Abraham what he was. And right after this, God came to Abraham and said, I am your shield. I am your reward. You turned down that plunder, but you have me. And all I can think about is this first commandment. That's what God is saying. I want to be your reward. I want to be your confidence. I want to be your comfort. When things are going crazy, me, 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 only me, not a cigarette, not a drink, not a bowl of ice cream, not a new sweater or a watch or a purse or what have you, me and only me. That's what I want. The other thing that I had to think about too is how often we just want to turn to ourselves. Like we want to be so independent. And pull yourself up by the bootstraps and give yourself the credit for anything you've done. It just was two events, in the, two things in the last 24 hours, two friends that I've talked to. One thanked me for an event that I put on and the thank you said, thank you and thank the Lord. And I wrote back and I said, yes, I thank the Lord. What am I? Who am I? I mean, if God doesn't give me the words to speak, trust me, I will have zero words. And I will be on this mic or doing the events 
as long as God decides to use me. And when he's done using me, I will not be here anymore. I am just a servant of the Lord. Thank the Lord. If you found something edifying, thank the Lord. That's, that's, I'm just working for him. I'm just a servant in his kingdom. And then I had somebody um, that I, I started a conversation with somebody who got a new role in ministry and I was so excited and I just wanted to congratulate her. And she's like, I don't know if I'm up for this. And I'm like, of course you are. You want to know why? Because you have what all of us have, a dependence on God. Listen, the second I think that I can do this and, and I'm good on my own, God will let me be on my own and I'll be done. I need God. We all need God. Every day, all that I'm doing. At the nursing home, I'm a, I'm a nursing assistant, right? And you'd think, oh, you don't need God for that. I need God every day. From the minute I get up and I'm exhausted and I get in my car and I drive an hour to work on the craziest, most dangerous road you can imagine. It is two lanes, so oncoming traffic. It's uphills, downhills, winding around, uh, curves, crazy, and valleys, hills, mountains. It's gorgeous until it's foggy. And it's gorgeous until it's snowing or it's a thunderstorm or so many other things. Every single day, I need God. Then I get to work. That's, that's before I get to work. Then I get to work. And you know, it is so easy to hurt yourself. You are helping people stand up. You are helping them move. You are helping them turn. You're helping them get dressed, bathing them, bending over, twisting, turning, only God, only God can get me through the day. And then after working a long shift, I need to drive home that same road. I need God. I can't do it without him. There's no way I can. There's no way any of us can. And yeah, maybe we could. Maybe we could go, you know, on our own strength for a little bit. But I can tell you my strength is pretty weak. I, I don't depend on my strength. I, I need God to get through the day. And he gives me what I need day after day after day. Luther also pointed out another way that we fall into idolatry. And that's when we think our work, our achievements will earn us heaven. So we don't really need God because we're good enough. And you hear that all the time. People are like, well, I think I'm going to heaven. I'm pretty good. By whose standards? By your standards, you're pretty good when you're comparing yourself to the person next to you or by God's standards who demands total perfection. None of us, none of us can make it on our own. All of us fall short. We all need Jesus or we're not getting to heaven. Every single one of us. It's idolatry to say, I got this. I'm good at my own merit. I've done enough. I've given some money. I didn't, you know, rob any banks. I've been a pretty upstanding citizen. I'm pretty good. Jesus was so good to show us the depth of the commandments. When he was talking to that rich young man who came to him and said, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? And he said, you know the commandments. And that rich young man said, yeah, I've kept all those. What else? 
And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And elsewhere, Jesus said, look, it's not just about sleeping with someone. If you've looked at them with lust, you've already broken that commandment. It's not just if you kill someone, it's if you hate them. When you hate somebody enough to not care if they're dead, it's the same as murdering them. Jesus explained that so we would understand none of us are good enough. We never could be good enough. And thank God we don't have to be good enough. And Luther is explaining here, look, it's idolatry to think you can do it. Just don't worry about that. You don't have to do it. You just have to trust in the one who's already done it. That's, That's keeping this commandment. You shall have no other gods. God, you're the God. Jesus, you're my savior. You're the one I need. I can't do it on my own. I want to give you this example too. I had an older woman from my congregation come up to me a couple weeks ago and she said, Amber, why do you think King Saul lost his faith? And I thought about it for a second and I said, pride. Because it didn't take long for him to be king And instead of doing what God asked him to do, he did it his own way. We only do that when we think we're at the same level or better than the one asking us. So if my boss at work says to me, Amber, can you go do this? And I'd like you to do it this way. If I say, "Mm, sure, and then I turn around and I do it the way I think I should do it, that's saying, I think I know better than her. So... When King Saul decided not to do things God's way, but to do it his way instead, that's pride. And we see that he went after his, um, after his uh, battle, he was busy erecting a monument to himself. Again, pride. Luther said this at the end of his summary about the first commandment. He said, Saul was a great king chosen by God and a godly man. But when he was established on his throne, he let his heart wander from God and put his trust in crown and power. Then he had to perish with all he had so that not even his children remained. David, on the other hand, was a poor, despised man. Remember, he he wasn't even called in from the field when Jesse had Samuel there to anoint the next king. They didn't even think to bring him. Like nobody even bothered to call David. Well, yeah, I have another son, but he's in the she- in the field with the sheep, and and you know we why would we bring him in? Despised man, hunted down and chased by King Saul, so that he did not feel his life was secure anywhere. Where was his security? Nowhere but in God. Yet he had to survive in spite of Saul and become king. For these words of the promise had to abide and come true, since God did, cannot lie or deceive. Just let not the devil and the world deceive you with their show, which indeed remains for a time, but finally is nothing. If you read through the Psalms, you will read through um, some of David's writing when he was being chased by Saul. And you will find him saying, you are my refuge. You're my strength. You're my fortress. The only place that David knew to go when he was being hunted through deserts, around mountains, when his life was in jeopardy, the only place he knew to go was God. 
and God did not let him down. That's keeping God in his rightful place in our heart. That's keeping the first commandment. Spend a little time today, this week, thinking about where you find your security, where you find your comfort, where you find your purpose in life. That will tell you who has your heart. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Come back next week to hear about the second commandment and about how we should use God's name and also how, unfortunately, sometimes we misuse God's name. Thanks for listening. See you next week.